the more that we can become the source of really valuable information for a customer, the more that the information we give them is accurate and honest and open and transparent, the more we can build reciprocity and trust with them that makes them want to do business with us. Welcome to another episode of The Drive. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. What? Joe, what's going on, man? Hey, Jason Harris, this is dope, man. How are you, dude? Bro, whipping a Tesla. We're going to talk some tech. Woo! We're talking technology in a Tesla. I do feel kind of dirty. Like it's, oh, I'm a dealer guy. This car feels so dope, though. It does, doesn't it? It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, I don't get geeked out. Really, I get geeked out really easily. Dude, I can't believe we're like hanging out in a Tesla at NADA, talking about this business. I've been a fan of yours for a while, man. Like I, yeah, I follow you on LinkedIn. I watch your video. You actually inspired me to start making videos, right? Like I even asked you via LinkedIn, like, hey, what you know, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> Joe, yes. Come on, dude. We're trying to show a video here. Like, that's whoopee up? cushion mode. Thanks, <laughs> Tesla. So, dude, like I, I've been a big fan of yours for a while, yeah. and um, I feel like you do video really well. I well, love I'm learning. Yeah, I, 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 dude. Like, the, like I, I will admit, like I still consider myself an amateur, dude. Like, I like I'm still it's, trying to figure out what people want, what people want to listen to, what people engage with. Man, for me, like it's it was the first videos I shot was nerve wracking, man. Like I, <laughs> yeah. like trying to be. Like authentic and just me and genuine in front of a camera felt really like awkward. Yeah. The first handful. And then finally, um, I had some good advice from some people and they were like, just, you know, like just be yourself and get a professional yep. to hold the camera yeah. and talk like you're talking to people you give a shit about. And um and it helped. And it's um yeah, man, I love your style. I love the fact that you have real conversations about you, you, you love real my stuff. First video, my first video. So, like, I got into this about a little over three years ago, yeah. and um, we had this office. And I'm like, I'm gonna build this green screen room, and I'm gonna go get all these lights. I'm gonna get all these cameras, and <laughs> I'm gonna be in tech. there. Like, like, I'm gonna be in there like every day. Like, we instead of using a screen, we painted the room so it would be like perfect. Mm -hmm. I think I was in there twice. Really? And then I was like, you know what? I have a fucking business to run. Yeah, man. Like, this is not going to work, you know? Yeah, so then man. I had to start figuring out something else, and that's the day I went out, literally that same day when I got frustrated yeah. about it. Uh, I went and bought two GoPros. I mounted them to the window and just yeah. started talking. Yeah, I love it. Like, I, I love the feel of it. It feels like, it feels real. Like, yeah. and that's, you know, for me, it, there's so much, you know, bullshit and polish, and people try to put this image of themselves out there. And, um, and for me, like, I really, re the videos that resonate with me feel like that's somebody telling me personally something that I'm like, oh, that's really good. Like, that's yeah. useful. That's, and I feel like that's what yours do, man. Well, and, oh, they're called golden nuggets. Yeah, man. Right? So, you know, I call these guys treasure hunters. Yeah. So I have three guys that are constantly hunting for smart shit that Jason says. Yeah. Uh, which sometimes is probably harder than really others. Really hard to find. Um, and so <laughs> there was, like, this last year, there was this ongoing joke that I say the smartest things when the camera's not rolling yeah exactly. exactly so then but a little over a year ago i think austin that's when you started with me right you guys just um, started rolling all the time it, we just turned on the camera yeah. we didn't stop so about six to eight hours a day the yeah. camera's always rolling and then it's just it's usually it's two days on three days editing two yeah. days on three days editing 
So that's now I got multiple guys yeah. doing it. So it's like they have their time so they can put it together and it's it's a commitment. I don't yeah. think people realize that it, it's a workout. Well, like, and and you to get that clip, they don't realize how much you're wading through to get to that. Like, okay, that's something that people need to hear, or yeah. that's something that people will will go. Okay, I can go use that. Like that can make me better. Well, and that's the kicker, right? It's like you know you're trying to bring value in a, a minute. Yep. It may be two, you know. Here's our but attention spans. That's literally it. And I also understand that you know being being on the uh, dealership side and running dealerships and having dealerships um, you know I don't have a whole hell of a lot of time no. so the idea was it was like how can I put together a, a morsel mm-hmm. right a little nugget okay that you know someone can consume on their lunch break yep. if they even have I mean, when they're up in, in the break business, room hoovering yeah. a sandwich at four o'clock in the afternoon yeah, exactly I've been there whole slice of all the time um, you know, that I've like, stored in my desk so that nobody would eat it <laughs> there you go. I'm like up there like stealing them putting them on paper plates and smashing it together and putting it in my desk everybody else's lunch That's exactly um, but it was just like okay so I give them this piece mm-hmm. and then we link it to the long piece yeah. so then we give them the option so it's like if they want if they got 30 minutes to spend and they really then, want to dig in that's a good they, idea then they man. can dig into the whole piece so let's talk car business man like well before we do that okay there's a lot of people watching and a lot of people that are listening mm-hmm. that don't know Joe. Oh, cool. <laughs> so let's let's start with the the two-minute origin story. Yeah. All right. That is Joe. Um, so my mom was a single mom, and she was a service rider at a Chevy dealership in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's actually in okay. Broken Arrow. Um, she met an F&I manager, a sharp-looking, well-dressed, <laughs> fast-talking F&I guy. Um, they fell in love and got married. I got my first commission check which was actually a bird dog check for selling a car when i was five i grew up got inside a, a dealership yeah i got a 50 dollars bird dog check when i was five years old bought like superman pajamas it was awesome i thought i was the coolest i was waiting on the showroom um for my dad who was finishing up f and i and it was at a subaru store and i was playing around with the car and had these cool vents that would twist open and close yeah. and this guy comes up he's like ah, oh, like are are you law like are you, are you like and I was like no I was like my dad works here he's the credit manager he like and he's like oh what's that I was like well he makes you take out your wallet and see if you have enough money to buy the car <laughs> these cars are so cool did you know if you turn these vents it'll drive underwater like I just started doing a walk around that was completely made up and the guy ends up my dad comes out and is like oh hey can I help you and, and the guy ends up buying the car and the owner that my dad worked for, they sent me a $50 bird dog check. And uh, it was like the coolest thing that ever happened. And I, you know, I didn't think I was ever going to get into the car business. I was 16. I had this like old school Toyota pickup. I was yeah. working at a produce wholesaler and I found I could buy the produce mm-hmm. at wholesale. And then I made like a mobile fruit stand. And because my parents were in the car business, I'd been selling chocolate bars at dealerships yeah. my whole life. So I would drive to the dealerships and I would sell fruit out of the back. I was like the guy, you know, like the lady with a little like thing full of sandwiches. That's who I was when I was 16. And a guy named Tony Bunn, um, who is a GM now, was the sales manager. And he was like, why don't you sell cars for us? Like, dude, I'm like, I'm 16. It's illegal. I can't do that. He was like, don't you worry about that. I'll, take, worry I'll about take care that. of these I'll things. <laughs> so I started in a group. It was one of those group hires. It was 1998. There was, you know, 20 something adults. I'm wearing like these, you know, pleated dockers with this tucked in shirt that's all ballooning out, (laughs) terrified, go through this training class for a week. And then I end up um, on the floor in my first month in the business. um, I was terrified of my manager. Like I still love him to this day. I talked to him yesterday. Um, I was so scared of this guy. Like I was, he he looked like he was a hundred, but he was probably like 40. He just smoked all the time and yelled at everybody. But he like had a big heart. Like once you got past him, like beating you in the face, right? And so I just did whatever he said. In my first month, I sold a bunch of cars. 
I didn't know if it was good or bad. Like I had a lot of exes. There was, you know, three or four people above me and everybody else yep. below us. And so I'm 16. I got my like $500 draw check on the 15th, which felt like a big check. And then the fifth, I got my washout. And I thought there was a mistake. Like I thought, I like thought that I'd gotten a manager check. I walked into the, into the tower and I was like, hey, Jerry, like... I think I got somebody else's check. He's like, well, let me see your check. You know what? We miss a cardio. Did you get cut up on something? I like slide the check over to him. He's like, no, kid, this is your check. He throws it back. And I was like, I have that much money. Right? Like, I bought like JL Audio 10W3s and a thousand watt amp. Like I bought a motorcycle. Like, I went, I spent it all in like two weeks. So I was broke again, but I got hooked. And um, I went to OSU to Oklahoma State for college. I won a couple of big awards. I got the Truman Scholarship. I was a USA Today Academic All-American. I got to study at Cambridge and Oxford. And wow. so I had this, this opportunity to go to graduate school on a scholarship uh, through the Truman Foundation. So I went to the University of Southern California. I did a master's in tax accounting. And when I was about to graduate, the owner that I had sold cars for, that my dad worked for, they reached out and they were like, hey, will you come back and be a sales manager for us? And I was like, dude, I got a real job at <laughs> Deloitte job. making $53,000 a year with a $3,000 signing bonus. What's up? Yeah, what's up now? <laughs> I live in Redondo Beach in LA County. And they were like, well, what would it take? And I, you know, I didn't know what to say. So I just made some stuff up. Like I want any demo I want to drive and <laughs> I want my insurance paid for. And they were like, okay. Sure. Yeah. And so I started flying back to Oklahoma. And when I graduated, I went back and I started a really focused effort on recruiting and hiring into okay. the sales force. Some of the people I've hired are in there. They've had incredible careers inside of auto and outside of auto. That's cool. We went for a non-traditional profile, lots of, um, of people that didn't fit the mold. And then we created a team structure where they all reported to me as their sales manager. And I would train them and I would take out the pencils for them. I would do everything because I didn't want them focused on the part that's hard for new people. Yeah. And then they would get to a point where they wanted to do it. And then they moved into a more traditional sales role. Sure. And so um, I did that, became an F&I manager, F&I director. Next thing you know, I'm a general manager. I was 29. I was way too young to be a GM. I made like, every mistake you can make as a GM. I didn't just make them. I perfected them, right? Like I, and I uh, became a, a GM of a, I went from a big volume Toyota store to a small Toyota store in Lawton, Oklahoma. About a year and a half later, um, we sold the store and I became the head of training for a big F&I company. And so I was the head of training, the national director of training for IAS. They just got acquired by IA from Canada. Yep. Um, I was there for three years, worked for one of the best mentors of my life, Frenchie Eric Malone, Eric Frenchie Malone. Yep. Um, the guy's incredible. Like I have just the utmost He's respect for him. Guy. I talk to yep. him all the time. Um, so then I, I got recruited away by Autofy uh, and they were showing me what they were working on. And as somebody that you know believes in the power of this industry to transform lives, I knew that this industry was changing and I felt like there needed to be somebody with perspective, sure. right? With a, with love that yeah. would go out there and influence the, the conversation and decisions and, and help, you know, strategically guide that company. And, um, I, because of my wife who was incredible, who was like, you know, let's go chase your dream. I'll live in a closet if we have to. <laughs> she was pregnant at the time and we had two little kids. We packed up everything and moved to San Francisco, sold off about a third of this, about three fourths of the things that we owned moved to a thousand square feet in San Francisco and started building a company that I am now seeing is really changing um, the way that dealerships connect with customers and the customer experience sure. and um, is really transforming our, our business in ways that are incredibly positive and meaningful. Yeah. And it's been a wild three and a half years. It's been 
you know, massive ups and feeling like we're changing the world and then massive, massive fear down. and like, oh my God, it's, this is, you know, and, and we've had these incredible dealers that have helped us to figure things out. People like Rick Reichardt and, you know, Bob Tasca and, you know, Sam Pack and the GMs are like Brian Huth and, you know, these people on the ground, you know, the Don Kitchens and Tony Pagano, that's a sales guy giving yep. us feedback and helping us to build something that um, really helps the dealership to to change the way it feels for a customer to buy a car from them. And Which is huge. I mean, let's, let's we can dive right into it. Yeah. Like, I mean, let's talk about the experience, yeah. right? There's still, I think, a fundamental just misunderstanding of really what that word is. Yeah. And, you know, for a lot of people, they, they you know, they categorize it as a, uh, the coffee they serve or the massage chairs. Right. Like, that's not the experience. So, in, in your words, how do you define that customer experience? Man, so I think that our customers' expectations are so different now, right? Like, yeah. the other night, I, I was laying in my bed in sweatpants, <laughs> eating a meal from my favorite restaurant that somebody just dropped off at my house, and my wife and I were getting ready to start a show on Netflix, and I had this like moment where I was like, this is the future. Like, we live in the Jetsons. Like, yes, this is 100%. the future. <laughs> yeah. Button, I got it. It's like, it's like Elon Musk said, right? We're all um, androids. We just have a, like, slow thumb data rate. Yeah. And I think that, uh, speaking of Elon, so I think that all of this is shaping what our expectations are when we buy things. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's this misnomer in digital. We hear this word digital and we think, like, oh, that's that's an internet department yeah, thing. Like, that's, exactly. It's this, this button that's going to magically sell cars for us. And I, I think there's these great examples from other industries, right? You look at the Ritz-Carlton. Exactly. When you walk into a Ritz-Carlton, they make you feel incredible. But, like, I still book my room through the app, right? Like, in, well, It's the way that they're using the data, though. Yes. It's the way they're connecting to it. Yes. You know, um, I went to one recently, and I was, I was just super impressed with mm-hmm. it. I uh, got pulled in. Uh, Valley grabbed my keys, asked me for my name. Mm-hmm. All right, are you checking in today? Yeah, all right. Well, welcome, welcome back, Mr. Harris. Mm-hmm. When I walked in... The front desk said, hello, Mr. Harris, how are yep. you today? I was like... Because they're transmitting because data from place exactly. to place. There was a process in place mm-hmm. to create this micro little experience mm-hmm. for me that just went, whoa, yeah, you man. know me. What's up? Yeah, you dude. Know? And it's just like, I mean, think about what had to go through that. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, the, the Somebody had, had to radio, yep, yeah. the radio that had yeah. to be included or it's something. There was a process that had to be done. And it wasn't, that's not self-serving. No. Like, I mean, how does that benefit them? It benefits me. Yeah, but that's the thing. I, I, there's this interview with uh, with um, Jeff Bezos from 1999 where the interviewer is really trying to push him that they're not an internet play. Yeah. They're like, oh, no, 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 but you have 3,000 employees and all these warehouses. <laughs> and he literally says internet schminternet. Like if there's one thing that we're obsessed with at Amazon, it's providing the best customer experience. 100%. There is never misalignment between customer interest and shareholder interest. Yep. Everything that we do that is good for a customer is good for us. And it's so, it, it, so for me, what I'm seeing now is technology is enabling people to do more good. Like technology is enabling, it, the lens that I view it in is, how is this enabling my people or my customers to accomplish mm-hmm. something? How is it making us more efficient? How is it making us more effective? How is it making us better at delivering something special? And you're seeing now- But that's all based on the usage of it, right? Yeah, so now so you're- So technology is only a tool. It's just a tool. is only as good as how well someone uses yep. it. I'm seeing that, I think there's a percentage of people that are yep. using it that way. Then there's another percentage are using it and it's just like, it's the easy button. Like so I let's, let's break this down. So, th- so I'm gonna give you, we've got you know almost a thousand dealers now using our software. Yep. And we've got them in Canada in the US are all over. 
And we see this, you know, you, the curve is real, right? Like yep. if you've ever read Scaling Up or any of those, like the curve is real. And I, I really dig into the ones that are great at it. And then the, like, I want to look at both ends because I think that's how we figure out how to move the middle. Yes. So we have, the, I'll, I'll give you the two experiences. We have these stores like, um, and, and places where you wouldn't think the revolution would have started, right? Three and a half years ago, if you're like, hey, you get to put $100 on where you think this is going to start. The last place I would have put it would be a Lincoln store in Florida, right? And there's a Lincoln store in Florida that is that is changing fundamentally the game. They have salespeople that have the earbuds, like they work at, uh, okay. at a Best Buy. They never leave the customer. If they need a manager, they just ask for the manager to come out and help them. They are managing the entire process as a single point of contact. You see these... So go- they do F and I. They do everything. So they, they do the sales, the F and yep. I. So they will turn their screen. They're using Autofy to present all the products. They've they- gone as far as being the service advisor as well? No. So they haven't integrated those two yet. Um, I was actually talking to a dealer the other day that was talking about that. And I think it's a really interesting idea. But what you see is this, like, this, this permeation of the impact, like the ripples in the pond where... Now they're getting these Google reviews where it's a car guru lead that comes in. They send that customer an interactive deal because they talk to Tony Pagano who says, look, I'll send, you know, what's my payment? Here, I'll send you your deal. You structure it how you want. You can even apply online, get an approval. Everything will be done. When you show up, your car will be clean and gassed and parked out front. I'll be waiting for you with a cup of coffee and you can be in and out of here and save two hours Mm -hmm. of the normal brain damage. And you see these customers in Google, like writing reviews, like I was skeptical. I didn't believe it was actually going to be like this. And then when I showed it, was exa- it was exactly what he said it was going to be. Yeah. So you see these experiences where it unifies that customer experience. I think there's a misnomer in this idea that it's online to offline. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It, it, it's literally the same. It, yes. And I think that you see these behaviors where a customer goes online Maybe they come to the store, they're not ready to buy, they go home. They don't not go back online. Um, uh, Glenn Rizzo from SCT calls them digital bebacks, and I think it's yep. the perfect name. Like They leave, yeah. they go home, and all of a sudden they're opening up the, your website, they're going back to that car, they're looking at pictures. And for us, we want to build, well, not we want, we've built connective tissue where when that customer opens it back up, it's letting me know at the dealership, oh, they're back on my website. Yes. They're back looking at this. So we're trying to push data in a way that's really easy to access and understand. Mm-hmm. So as a salesperson, we can inform. Um, I think there's this challenge. Mm-hmm. I spent five days at Henry Curtis Ford in Petaluma, California in their internet department um, about a year ago. Big shout out to those guys. Yeah, big way. shout out. Hands Auto Group. I love you guys. <laughs> uh, Ryan Seaman, thank you so much for letting me work in your internet department. They had just let somebody go. So they assigned 163 active leads to me. Okay. It's been a long time since I've done a bunch of calls and follow up on car deals. <laughs> And it when was you get, fun, right? yeah, oh, bro, when you get out of retail, you remember like the high fives on that Saturday that you hat tricked at the end of the month and yeah, you're like exactly. going out, right? You forget the day that you made 800 phone calls, talked to three people and two of them hung up on you, exactly. right? So <laughs> like, oh God, so I'm going through and I had these two realizations, right? One is that customers don't respond to anything. Like no. you have the, you're, you're sending well, these. It's a value proposition. Yes. If that communication did not have value or perceived value, value yeah. is all perception. But I mean, if there's no perceived value in it, why the hell, why yes. you'd want to communicate back to you? So I see this example where this customer says, um, hey, I found this vehicle in your inventory. I work weird hours. Uh, what would a lease payment be on this specific escape? Yep. Let me know if the payment makes sense. I could probably come in really early on Saturday to pick it up. Yep. Salesperson responds with, leasing's really complicated. Let's schedule an appointment for you to meet with a leasing specialist. They'll go over all the information with you. And if it makes, you know, if it, if it doesn't make sense, you can still have more education than what you came in with, right? Yeah. So I'm like trying to not throw up in my mouth. I'm like, uh, in the, and I don't blame the salesperson. Like, 
It was we, a training thing. Yes. That's how they were trained. Yes. So we can't. We can't blame the sales No. So, so I look at it and I'm like, okay. So I, I call our product manager and I'm like, hey, would you drive up to Petaluma? I have this idea. Our technology doesn't do it yet. Could you help me to like build a deal where I could send it to a customer? He's like, yeah, I'll figure it out. We were at like typing at the end of the URL, a bunch of appendages and copying it a notepad and <laughs> pasting that into a template and a hyperlink. So I write this heartfelt email. I'm like, you know, dear Tina, I'm uh, my subject line was literally I'm a real person. Please read, right? And uh, like I, li- I literally was like, I write, subject. dear Tina. Uh, first off, I want to tell you I'm sorry. I'm new at this dealership. My biggest pet peeve is when I ask a company that I want to do business with a question and they don't answer. Yep. So we've partnered with this company to create an interactive car deal where you can actually see the lease. I know you reached out to us a month ago. You've probably already bought a car, but I found one similar to what you were looking at. Here's your interactive deal. It's got 10% down, but you can change it. You can flip back and forth between miles. You can estimate your credit. If you like it, you can apply online, get a real-time approval back from Ford. And when you show up, you'll be in and out and we'll save you two hours, right? Email it to her. We're like hitting refresh in the back end of our portal like <laughs> junkies. Want to see it I just want please open, please open. She opens. We're like, yeah, she opened it. I need, I need this case. Yes, please. yes, please. <laughs> Fifteen seconds later, she closes it, and I'm like, wah wah, and my cell phone rings. Yeah. And I answer. She's like, that was so awesome. This is Tina's. This Joe's like, yeah. She's like, listen, I'm at the hospital right now. I think I'll, because she, she works at the hospital. She's like, okay. she's like, uh, could, do you guys have a red one? I think I want a red one. Could you send me a deal like that on a red one? I was like, sure, I'll send you a deal on a red one. She's like, I'm not going to be home till like midnight tonight. I'll look at it then. Um, and if any, if I have any questions, can I just call her? She's like, yeah, just call me. Bill, I'm like, we, I get off the phone. We're like, oh my God. Right? We, we, do you guys even have a red one? Please say we have a red one. We find it. We put the deal together. We send it to her. That night at like two o'clock in the morning, she opens it up. She goes through, she buys this car online. I mean, she gets a real approval from Ford Credit on the lease. She buys wear care. She buys like, I mean, she buys her own F&I product, schedules an appointment for delivery on Saturday, and they deliver the car on Saturday. And I had this moment where I was like, this is solving this problem of engagement with customers. And I think that because in our business, we are so scared to give out information that what we end up doing is giving away gross by implying a big discount when you come into the well, store. I think it's fear, and then if you go really old school, it's control. Yes. You know, there's still this element of, I mean, look, I, I remember when my dealership first got their website, mm-hmm. 2000 maybe, yeah. 99, 2000, something like that. You know, and there was just this this fear of loss of control. Yep. Like, what do you mean they can shop online now? Like, yeah. no, no, my, my customers come in to shop and then yep. I show them what to buy, you know? Yeah. So. So I, I think that um, this whole idea of control, first mm-hmm. thing, as I heard something Brian Binstock said on like yesterday on the live stage, he was like the one in front of the one in front of me. And he talked about joint control, like the That's customer. Yeah. The, and what I have said from lots of stages is I wish we still had control, but we don't. Yeah. There's a balance of power shift where your customer has access to all this information that they've never had access. Like when I started selling cars in 1998, if I would have asked my manager, Jerry Hoyt, if I would be like, hey, uh, I need the invoice on this. This customer wants to see the invoice. He would have thrown a stapler at me, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't care what the invoice is. The invoices are in accounting. You can sell it for what I tell you you can sell it for. Yeah. Now customers come in, they've got an invoice on their phone they're looking at, which means the like negotiable balance of power, like the cards are no longer like squarely in our control. And in that environment, the more that we can become the source of really valuable information for a customer, the more that the information we give them is accurate and honest and open and transparent, the more we can build reciprocity and trust with them that makes them want to do business with us. And so for me, I think of this as like, 
our opportunity to become a trusted source of information in order to create connective tissue and a relationship with a sure. customer so that they want to do business but with us. But the only way that works though is that actually has to be a goal and objective for you. Yes. Right? So I mean, that's, that's a huge mind shift for our industry. Dude. You know, goals so, and objectives are usually uh, tied to gross profit and, and volume. And volume. Yep. It, there's, how often have you gone into a dealership where like the goal and objective is like, we just want to make it easier. We want to connect. We want to increase our connectivity ratio with our clients. Like, <laughs> and, the, and the problem is, is that really when you think about that, if your goal and objective is to sell more cars at a higher level of profitability, then when you go to the next layer down beneath that, your mm -hmm. behavior should be all driven towards the best customer experience you can I deliver. Agree. So, so I think that in, in dealerships, we have this challenge and I think it's, uh, you know, I just read Dale's new book. I really yep. loved it, by the way. Like, I, and, I, and there was one piece of it that I felt like was missing for me. And I think that it's a misalignment between our like pricing strategy yep. and our messaging strategy. I, I think that's true, but I also think it's how much uh, how much attention we put onto the price. So, so, well. so I, what I mean by that is I think that we have this idea that price is what sells cars and gets clicks and gets people to exactly. look at us, exactly. and yet our messaging from our BDCs and internet departments and showrooms still acts like we have six grand worth of gross to negotiate on. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to the word tracks that most BDC and F&I man or BDC and internet managers are using, it's, you know, your presence is your leverage. The yes. deals are always better when you're on the show. We're yep. using this implied gross discount to try and get customers to do business with us. When you look at the motivation for customers, it's it's literally the number one complaint on CSI surveys is how long it takes to buy a car. Exactly. Well, I mean, you look at like uh, you were talking about Google reviews yeah. earlier, right? When when you really start analyzing Google reviews for a dealership, there are three core things. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, is the, the three reasons why they bought a car is the same three reasons why they didn't buy yep. a car. It is the people, mm -hmm. the product, and the operational experience. Yep. Now, the consumer just uses the word experience. Yep. All right, but really, what we're what they're saying is the experience was um, how they went through our process. Yep. You know. And and said that it goes, it goes bad or it goes the other way too. But you know, when we're thinking about it, I think of it especially on the marketing side. Ninety percent of our ad spend is focused on only one of those three messages. Ten grand off. And That's it. It's all about the product. But when you read, when literally they're telling you why they bought. Jane was amazing. Yeah. You know, Jack just really knocked it out, and you know, we wanted to pick it up on Saturday, and he was there, and he said we could have it. You know, it was like it's the people and that experience. So we see these interesting things with advertising. We don't do any digital marketing advertising. Yeah. Nothing that's in our wheelhouse, but we see the impacts of it when our dealers do. Sure. Um, Rick Rycard at Rycard Automotive ran this ad all on speed, convenience, and transparency. Nothing about price, nothing about payment. Ran it on YouTube pre-roll, ran it on traditional TV, and it's a really fun ad talking about non-commissioned salespeople. <laughs> They got a 4x number of VDP page loads the month that they ran it. Well, for sure, because that, that's that's someone I want to connect with. Yes. That's the operational experience that I'm going to experience when I come you know, to your dealership. So let's talk about that experience now, one step back from this incredible one. Yes. So the next experience for me is, um, is a customer that has this awesome online experience, and then it's disconnected from the in-store experience. So we see this happen in like NPS surveys where a customer, you know, goes online, they think that they're buying a car sure. because they've got a real approval for credit. They've already picked out their F&I products. They have a, looks like a Reg Z disclosure that shows them everything. It says, schedule your delivery. They walk into the dealership. Somebody comes up and says, hey, welcome to the dealership. What can I help you with? They're like, oh, I'm just here to pick up my car. And they're like, well, what kind of car would you like to buy? And like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I'm actually just here. To, I bought it online. I'm here to pick it up. Great. Sit down. Let me find out what's going on. And we set them on the showroom while that, you know, 
data unempowered person goes to a sales manager who doesn't even know or have access to the data and they're like dude just like let's get them on paper let's work a car deal go find out what they're looking at let's go show them a car and we make these customers repeat the work that they've already done so this ramped up level of expectations that comes crashing down and when you're talking about people and processes with digital retail the hard part now is getting everybody to connect the entire experience and so what we're doing is pushing data really pushing it to the key stakeholders in the customer experience so that when I do follow up with a customer, I'm not I'm not just generically asking, hey, when do you want to come in and take a look at it? I'm saying, yeah. hey, I noticed this and this and this. How can I be of assistance here to help you? Yeah. Would text be better? Like you didn't select what would be best for me to get like so instead of doing that, we have these kind of disjointed systems that create these like breaks in the customer experience. And so one of the challenges that we have that we're really working on with our you know dealer success team is helping dealers to really unify that experience to make sure that the baton does and get lost between the two. And I think that's where you see the, the, the negative experience in the middle of this. You can be the best digital retail dealer in the world in your internet department, be a goat rodeo on your showroom, and it's probably worse for your customers than not being great at digital retail in the first place. I think there's kind of a fundamental fear that um, we're, we're trying to redesign the entire process, but I actually haven't changed mm-hmm. the process at all. It's just the process is just now starting online yeah. instead of starting in the dealership. It's the same meet and greet and qualify that just happens online it's the same payment presentation Mm -hmm. but it's just you know more controlled by the customer online yep you know i don't know why we think i think there's some vendors that are pushing this as just being this whole fundamental shift and change yeah it's like it's not dude we're just we're just doing when i was a finance manager right when i was a finance director we sold cars to customers that lived in other states all you know, the time. When I first started you know, 13 years ago in the BDC, we were drop shipping yes. to Dubai and sending duallys to Alaska. Dude, you would have like you your know? F&I manager call them. They would send two copies of contracts. They were one... faxing us yes. back the information and we were waiting for funding and then ship them. And call. we act like what Carvana is doing is so revel. Dude, we were doing the same type of sales. We just don't market it as a value proposition. No. Right? And I think that's one of the things that... Um, I want to see, like, I'm really excited to see in the next year how marketing agencies and companies and and advisors help dealers to distill that message down and get it out to the customers to help them, like, build a real brand identity around. Well, I mean, there's a couple things that have to happen there, right? Uh, First thing, uh, dealers have to take the approach that they actually care about their strategy instead of just checking off the proverbial box that they did their marketing. You know, yeah. so that's that's one thing. But vendors also need to push the dealers to that direction. Yeah. You know, it's like dealership ABC Motors calls in and says, "Give me ten thousand dollars worth of." Ads. By the way, by the way, I met a guy from ABC Motors the other day. Like, yeah. there's a real ABC Motors. It's like, I've used serious? you in millions of examples. Oh my gosh, I feel horrible. No, it's awesome. Um, <laughs> that was awesome. I was like, wait, wait, your dealership's really called ABC. Mo- I'm. Can I get some business cards? Please, thank you. (laughs) That's awesome. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. But like, it's 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 a mind shift for the vendors. We have vendors need to take more of a consultative approach with their dealers, and it's not just you know let me just fill the order form in. It's like no, let me help them actually develop other strategies that's going to give them the most amount of ROI. Look, this year. I don't think anybody's going to be spending any more money than they did the previous year. Right. You know, we're going into another year of that. Yep. You know, so it's we got to look at how we're going to be more effective, yeah. not only in our operations but in our marketing efforts as well. I, man, I, I completely agree, and I, and I think that um, I think that one of the challenges as a guy that was a GM of a dealer, right? Yep. One of the challenges when you're operating a dealership is 
from the OEM to the way that your sales managers think to allocation, everything. We live in these 30 day cycles, right? It is a 30 day increment world. It's, I got to get to the end of this month. I'm, where are we on pace this month? You know, when you think about the questions like a GM asks a sales manager, it's all about this month, right? It's yep. where are we pacing? How are we pacing? How many yep. cars we got out today? Yep. Okay. It's about like, it's about getting to the end of that month and then starting over and going to the next month. And I think that um, because of that, we put this like nearsightedness blinders on um, on long-term strategies. Yeah. And the dealers that are the most successful with us with digital retail, think about it as a as, as almost like a lifestyle change, right? It is a- Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, the, and the way that we've been the most successful is really working in phases. So we're gonna get really good at this one thing. Yeah. Like once we're good at this, then we can take on this next piece. And I think that that's almost like a, a thinking shift in the world of, dealership operations, dude, I was conditioned. I did a forecast every year and then I would look at it at the end of the year, right? Like yeah. I, it wasn't like I was thinking outside of those 30 day increments. Dude, put your hands on the steering wheel, bro. Put your hands on the steering wheel. I know we still want to play with that. No, it's so crazy. I want to do it. I just want the people watching to be like, ah, he's, it's autonomous driving. There is no Austin driving, just so you guys know. It is literally it's an autonomous. It's just the two of us. It's just the two of We're us in the back of a Tesla. There. There's actually no driver up front. <laughs> We're making it better for our clients. We're making yep. it better for the customer. Exactly. And when we do that, as vendors, as dealers, everybody wins. A thousand percent. Joe. Dude. That was awesome, man. Man, I, I could sit and talk to you. We could just do this for like eight hours. We could. We, I mean, there's, I know we'd run out of battery, but. That's fine. We'll we just plug it, it in. <laughs> Peace. See ya.